Hello, hello, and welcome back, or welcome for the first time to Playtime. My name is Andrew Barnett, and I'm a child therapist who lives and works in beautiful Asheville, North Carolina, and this is a podcast dedicated to children and play therapy, coming at those things from a child-centered perspective. And today on the podcast, I wanted to make some space for talking about play again. I feel like I can get off into all kinds of different places on this podcast, but wanted to reground in talking about play. And play has always had value at all times, not just for humans, but animals play too. If any of you own or have been around young animals, they also love to play and get something out of it. Play is an important and serious thing, and play also provides an opportunity for some respite and for some escape and for some diversion and for some world building and then being able to inhabit those worlds and get things out of those worlds that are created by children or by adults. And that feels so important during this time, not that being disconnected or being avoidant is helpful or productive or allows anyone some space for true development, but being in play can offer us a reprieve from some of the burdens that we might be carrying around. And at least here in the United States, it's a time of some tension. You can feel it even if you're inside of like a grocery store or something. There's there's so many different elements coming together that can make things feel tense and children pick up on that. Children are like little emotional sponges. Children are aware of it. I feel like I've got more children that I know personally and professionally who are dealing with some level of volatility, with some level of emotional dysregulation, with some level of anger and all the more reason to talk about play and all the more reason to talk about taking play seriously. And so far I've been talking about taking play seriously from the outside of things, of adults respecting and taking play seriously. And I've also been talking about it in a way about how play is important and should be respected and taken seriously for those reasons. I also want to discuss it in a way that talks about children and their experience of play and how seriously children take their play. If you're a play therapist, then you are definitely familiar with what I'm about to talk about. If you're, but even if you're an adult who just plays with children sometimes, when you're playing with a child, they will often be very quick to tell you when what you're doing falls outside of the bounds of the rules of play at that time. They'll tell you if, oh, you're not allowed to do that. You can't do that. If you're like a character in a game and you and you are exiting the world that they've created, the world that they've projected onto the toys and onto you and onto the space, onto the container where the play is happening, the play also has to exist in some kind of a container. It has boundaries, and inside of those boundaries there are rules, and those rules are strict. I would even argue that the rules of play that a child comes up with are more strict than the rest of life is, that we talk about the rest of life like it's more serious and play like it's more silly, but play in itself is one of the most structured things that there is. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Calvin and Hobbes. It's one of my favorite comic strips. I find it to be very child-respectful, and in the strip, sometimes on like the Sunday afternoon page, there are pages that are 
bigger than the like sort of daily line of strip. And on these pages, they, Bill Watterson would sometimes have Calvin and Hobbes play this game called Calvin Ball. And Hobbes is Calvin's stuffed tiger who, in Calvin's eyes, comes to life and everyone else's eyes is just a stuffed animal. But so the rules of Calvin Ball are that there are no rules. You can do whatever you want. So they'll often be dressed up in capes and masks and they'll get points for random things. Like it's kind of like a sport, but people people can also be kidnapped or like trapped. It's like, oh, now you're in the zone of Zendar and you, you can't leave. Or if you leave, you lose the game. But even though it's chaotic and even though you can do whatever you want in that space, they keep coming up with more and more and more and more rules and then they end up fighting about the rules and they end up in a brawl at the end of every strip that's about Calvin Ball. And I bring up that example to say that even when you try to take all the structure off of play, like it's just a free space where we can have fun. Well, once you start to enter into that play space and once you start to project yourself on that space, you do start to create rules. You do start to create a structure to it. And the longer I play with a child, often the more that structure seems to evolve that the play takes on more and more and more details. And when it takes on more and more and more details, it also has more and more rules. Like if I'm playing with a child and they start to do something imaginative, that imaginative thing that they're doing first exists inside of a space. And children generally follow the rules of a space. If we're in a, if we're in a house, like a beluga whale is not going to jump through the wall or people don't have magical powers. If there is... A relationship between two people in that house, say, let's say a father and a daughter, then those two people are going to interact with each other in a certain kind of way based on their personalities. And they only there's only a certain number of correct responses that can happen in that scenario. And then if the child is projecting emotions onto that situation, then you have a person who is communicating through a certain emotion. If that person then also has things that they want or don't want, then that person has a goal that they're moving towards with that emotion in relationship to this other person. And it starts to get more and more and more specific. Other characters couldn't be included into this because maybe we're playing out this particular dynamic right here. But then in the play, say maybe this girl and her dad, they're having an argument and the girl runs up to the attic of the dollhouse to her her bedroom and then leaves out the window of her attic window and is on the roof and on the roof there's a horse and now we've transitioned a little bit and we could even say in this play now okay when the girl is inside and she's talking to her father in the kitchen there's a certain set of rules that apply there's a certain set of emotions that apply there's something lived in their relationship and there's a play that exists in that space then when the girl goes up to her room she's sort of in this liminal in-between space Then when she leaves her room and gets on the roof, now we're entering into a space that's a little bit more magical, that's a little bit more mysterious, that is maybe governed by more archetypal forces or things from her unconscious and symbols. And there could be maybe some magic that comes into this or that the whole world is a little bit different out there. Then when the girl goes back into the house, she's back into those other frames of reference that she was in before. Each of those spaces would have its own set of rules and dynamics. And it's not just kids' games that are super complicated like that. I enjoy watching sports sometimes, and I have been watching basketball recently. And the number of rules in basketball is truly insane. 
There are rules about where you can stand on the court, for how long you can stand there. There's rules about where people are allowed to be or not to be. There's complex rules about fouls. I don't even know how long the the rule book for NBA basketball is. I'm sure it could be like hundreds of pages for all of the specific nuanced things and all of the rules that go along with, with what is essentially just a game. They're just playing a game. But even all of the things that have been built around it, the league and the teams and everything else, it's all just one big, complicated game that, that's really not any different in, to what children do. And what I think I have found consistently, and this may or may not be true, but I think it's true, is that... When I'm doing a session with a child, and if we're, we've got this container and we have a strong fidelity to the rules of the game, both on my part and on their part, and game wasn't quite the right word, but say there's a scenario and everything's moving along and I'm in a role and I'm able to play that role inside of the rules and embody the state that I'm supposed to be embodying and they're embodying the state that they're supposed to be embodying and there's not too much volatility or breaking of the structure of the play. At some point, it feels like it gives all of that some space to evolve. It gets deeper. It gets deeper. And when it gets deeper, I think it also reaches deeper places inside of their psyche, deeper places inside of their experience as a person. It's more connected to maybe the struggles that they need to work through. It's getting more complex and complex. And as it's getting more complex, it's also getting more concentrated. And it's getting concentrated to the point that feels important to reach in their development as a person. With more complexity means more nuance. And with more complexity means generally more emotion and more connection. With more complexity means reaching deeper places inside of the imagination. And all of that complexity is reached through increased seriousness and through fidelity to the rules of play. And we can understand how important that is to children When they get upset with us for not following the rules. I mean, if you've ever played with a child for any length of time, you have likely had that child get upset with you for not following the rules of the play. And if we take seriously that they're upset about it, they're upset because the rules mean something. They're upset because it's important. Which doesn't mean that we should have any shame or guilt as therapist, parents, whoever, for a child sort of correcting us in play if we're trying to be in line with their play. We shouldn't. It's going to happen. Miscommunication happens between human beings all the time. It doesn't mean that we can't give that child feedback, especially, say, outside of a therapeutic setting, if we didn't like the way it felt when they talked to us that way. We could make a request to be let known in a more in a more gentle way, while also perhaps honoring the request or not honoring the request, whatever you want to do, but honoring the request if you're trying to sink deeper into their play. So I want to normalize those moments and that they're going to happen. And I also want to say that those kids are are upset for a reason and they're upset because the rules provide a necessary structure. I've experimented some with the sand play. I wouldn't call myself a sand play therapist, but I think with a lot of sand tray work, I want to mention that it just involves witnessing what a child or a person is making inside of the tray and taking pictures of it and tracking it over time and just giving space for that play to unfold inside of the container of the sand tray. And the 
work that I have read by people who are doing that, it's 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 really beautiful stuff. And I think it it serves to highlight that in those sessions, the trays would get more complex sometimes, or maybe they would start out like really chaotic and messy and get more organized. And even sometimes a very simple tray can still be very powerful. The symbolism of it can be very powerful. But what I think what it highlighted for me the most is that when play is able to unfold inside of a container, it evolves, it moves, it grows, it changes, and that those changes correspond to internal changes inside of the person who is engaged in this play, who is projecting themselves onto this play. And I think in this time of volatility, in this time when I know more families who are experiencing volatility and people who are experiencing volatility, it can be easy to focus on that volatility. It can be easy to get caught in this like, okay, we got to be talking about these outbursts and these tantrums or these times when things are going wrong we got to start giving coping strategies to people and ways to try to manage your anxiety or ways to try to you know things to calm down after you're upset or while you're upset and 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 all that's all that's great I mean it has a space it has a space I wouldn't want to you know not provide those things to someone who is asking for them and I also don't know how much room for for development there is in that space. Not not the kind of development that we're talking about with play. Not this deep internal development. And that my fear is it can be easy to lose sight of that, of the value of play, of the value even when it's when it feels light, when it feels fun, when it feels just different and interesting. It could be like, no, we got to be focused on the hard stuff. It's like, sure, there are things to be aware of and there are things to talk about. And if and if a child is having a hard time, I wouldn't want to not provide strategies for those difficult moments and the internal changes that are going to help the child develop a different relationship to that and not be stuck in those places come from play. And the world just feels like a very serious place right now sometimes and everyone's taking things very, very seriously. And if we're going to be taking things seriously, we might as well also take play seriously, make space for play, respect play, cultivate play, witness play, support play, and just on a basic level, respect play. And play has been such a central part of the experience of maybe nearly all conscious beings, definitely humans and animals, at least And it feels like, in some ways, we are only really beginning to understand it, to know how to use it, to know how to use it therapeutically, to understand its value. And it feels like the first step of being able to continue to understand it more deeply and develop our relationship to it as a species more deeply is to respect it and is to take it seriously. And that's all I've got for this weekly playtime ramble thank you so much for listening as always check out patreon.com slash playtime podcast if you'd like to support the show the show is offered for free like all podcasts and in the spirit of the gift for more of my work head to barnettchildtherapy.com and contact me if you'd like to i'd love hearing from people i'll catch you all next time